You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, meta, and community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. This episode is sponsored by Team Rank Star. Visit TeamRankStar.com for all the latest Elder Scrolls Legends news. This episode is also sponsored by Inked Gaming. Visit InkedGaming.com and use the code TRS12 to get 12% off your next order of customized gaming gear. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, uh, a podcast about Elder Scrolls Legends. I am your host, Mark Lutz, from just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm thrilled to be here with you this evening. I guess if you're listening to this in the morning, it could be the morning for you, because I have a very, very special guest with me. He was the first streamer that I came to uh, whenever I started playing Elder Scrolls Legends, the first person I went to to learn how to play the games. His deck was one of the first, was the first deck that I used to hit Legend, uh, and I still have one of them uh, right now back from his streaming days. I have with me Bethesda employee CVH. CVH, how are you doing tonight? Hey, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me on. I'm very excited to talk some legends at this late hour. I didn't know that bit about uh, the deck, uh, one of the decks I made actually being the first that you hit legend with, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, uh, and, and one of the other ones that you made is one that I have gone back to over and over again. It's sitting in my library called CVH Battle Mage, actually, um, because I was watching you stream. Uh, you played a Battle Mage deck uh, that ran, uh, uh, you know what, it, every time you start talking, you do forget the names of all of the cards, um, but uh, the two supports, one uh, equips a steel dagger to everything that you summon, and the other one gives all of your red creatures plus one attack um running that with a ton of chargers in your deck um you may not even remember the deck but i have used it to push to legend against control decks multiple times i really hope i can take credit for it yeah <laughs> a lot of the decks i played were uh borrowed from the internet well it <laughs> may have it been but i was on stream watching you actually put the deck together whenever you started playing it um oh, and nice. i i liked it so much i i built it myself uh crafted the cards that i needed for it and uh the first deck that i hit a uh, legend with um was actually a, a prophecy battle mage and um i actually shot you in your stream um uh, i think a message asking you about a couple of different battle mages that i was finding online and what cards i could have and what cards i couldn't have and you're the one who gave me the advice for uh what cards to supplement for at the time i think it was daggerfall uh, mages uh because i didn't have those yet because i was i was new to the game uh, so yeah man i learned a lot from you early on in the stream early on i'm really glad it was helpful yeah um it's been a while what 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 do you remember what month that was what year that was prophecy battle mage is kind of like this ever-present thing in the game so yeah it could be anytime sure i mean it was it was probably two years ago um, it would have been about the time that my daughter was born. So, uh, I mean, we're looking back in like May or June of 2017, probably. Um, oh, yeah, that was, that was good times. I think that was right around uh, Steam release for Legends 2. 
if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, yeah, it may it may have been. Um, I I honestly only started playing on Steam recently. I've always been a tablet player, but uh, yeah, I mean, I was still playing Hearthstone at the time, and and was making that switch over to Elder Scrolls Legends during downtimes when I was bored with Hearthstone, and uh, and you know, like I said, you were the guy that I connected with, you and Bradford Lee, um, but you first. So uh, yeah, it's a huge honor to be able to uh, to podcast with you and just talk with you because, you know, not only are you working for Bethesda now, you made that transition, which is awesome, um, but you also have had a great amount of influence on me as an Elder School Legends player. I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just really awesome to, to connect with people like that. I'm glad my, my stuff had a positive impact when I was streaming. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, because, you know, I know you as a streamer before, you know, the guy on the floor at E3. Um, But uh, other people may just know you as the guy on the floor at E3, you know, talking Elder Scrolls Legends for a couple of minutes, a game that they really enjoy. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into Legends? How did you get into card games? Um, What brought you to Bethesda? Uh, Yes. So I guess card games is a really long story. Um, probably starts similar to a lot of people in elementary school or maybe early middle school for a lot of people. Uh, but I just saw, you know, a group of kids, the cool kids playing Yu-Gi-Oh at the lunch table. So of course obviously, the cool kids. yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> Hey, in elementary school, they were the cool kids. And, uh, I desperately wanted to be a part of the cool kids. So I bothered one of my friends at the time for a Yu-Gi-Oh card. He eventually gave me a book of secret arts which I thought was incredibly good, gave 300 attack to something. Little did I know that's nothing in Yu-Gi-Oh terms, but uh, needless to say, after that, um, I also bothered my dad until we went to, I think it was Toys R Us at the time. Remember Toys R Us? <laughs> yeah, those are those are gone now. Those aren't Yeah, around. they are. <laughs> yeah, so there was one really close to our house, and we went and we bought uh, two of the starter decks. My dad wanted to, to pick, and I think he picked an extra one up, and I remember, you know... He was trying to, to play along with me. I, I played Yu-Gi-Oh for a little bit. Um, I kind of fell out of it when I started middle school uh, because I was I was sitting at the lunch table again. You know, a lot of really impactful life decisions happen at the lunch table. Uh, probably top five, um, you know, nurturing most most nurturing places in in your life. Um, I met a good friend Spencer Swan, who I'm still very good friends with, and we he both he played Yu-Gi-Oh too, so we talked about Yu-Gi-Oh a little bit. But I went to a card shop one day, and I met another one of my current best friends, uh, Carl Machado, uh, and we got into Duel Masters together. And then I showed Spencer, and I was like, "Yeah, you have to get into this game." It was a game by Wizards of the Coast. It was around from 2004 to 2006. It's still mm. around in in Japanese, but um, we played that. We went to uh, Invitationals. Um, for that game, Continental Championships, uh, I started being very competitive very early. Um, obviously, I was 12, so my parents had to get involved, and you know they really were supportive and, and helped us travel to events and stuff like that. Um, that game unfortunately died in 2014, but then we went back to Yu-Gi-Oh. Our friend groups just started traveling around to regionals, and uh, they were called Shonen Jump Championships back then. It was before the whole YCS thing. It was that I'm dating myself for any Yu-Gi-Oh players out there. Um, then I stopped playing Yu-Gi-Oh! in about 2010, uh, focused on finishing up high school, uh, getting into college. Uh, but it wasn't long until the card game bug bit me again. Um, mm. And then uh, actually Wizards rebooted Duel Masters and called it Kaijudo, the card game. Uh, so then the same friend group I just described, plus a couple other peoples, um, we all got into Kaijudo and started traveling around to events for that. Um, I started writing for a website called Alter Reality Games. Um, which is a you know sort of a content website and also an online and in-person card shop in Ohio. Uh, they hired me to be a weekly writer there, 
which I did for Kaijudo. Uh, went to all the world championships, got third place in the first one, won the third one. Uh, that game, unfortunately, also died. Uh, it was, oh, bummer. Was yeah, so that happened twice. The same, Basically the same game. Um, funny story about Kaijudo, too. When I got hired at Bethesda, uh, Pete Hines, um, he knew I played one of those games. He didn't really know it was Kaijudo, so I told him it was Kaijudo. And he asked me what the best card was in the game, and I told him, and he bought a playset on eBay. And right now, a few of those Kaijudo cards are, like, chilling on a couple of the community managers' desks, just, like, strewn about the office in different places. So uh, huh. that's where Kaijudo is now, just randomly in places. Um, but after Kaijudo died, I got into Hearthstone, which is, I think, the first game we connect on, you know, because we both, we both played that. It was it was right sure. when it started. Yeah. It was, like, sure. 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my, my last year of college, um, I used sort of the experience I had writing in alter reality games to sort of leverage it into a job at Tempo Storm. I was a strategy writer there for, I think, a year or so. Um, writing generally weekly articles uh, and just grinding, uh, grinding to try to get into the competitive scene. Uh, I wasn't one of the the first movers to Hearthstone, so it was very hard to build a, a following as a streamer. Um, I streamed. Yeah, for, I would imagine. Yeah, so whenever I streamed Hearthstone, I I would not average more than more than ten viewers. Uh, some of those early viewers came to be early Legends viewers for me too. Um, but basically, you know, hitting Legend 20 sometimes, uh, in, doing some open tournaments, but nothing really to to give you that sort of jump into success. It was a very cutthroat environment. Uh, but basically, I just kind of got tired of the grind because that's how I, I viewed it and that's what I was approaching it as. Uh, and then I saw Legends was a game that was not yet out yet, but I was looking at the mechanics and it really sort of blended all the stuff I liked about Hearthstone with all the stuff I liked about uh, Duel Masters and Kaijudo. Not so much Yu-Gi-Oh, but that's okay. It's a totally different style of game. But um, sure. I saw the mechanics, and I was reading it, and I just knew I had to get into it. Um, so as soon as it came out, or as soon as I could, I remember the day... I actually messaged Pete on um, Reddit, because I just saw his handle DC Deacon, and I saw the Bethesda tag next to it. I had no idea who he was, but I was like, this guy works for Bethesda. He can uh, answer me some questions. So I was like, how do, how do I get into this game? Uh, and he promised me... He was like, hey, we might have a beat where we let some influencers in a little bit early i'll let you know he never let me know i never got in early <laughs> okay <laughs> I, I still get forgotten about it. forgotten about yeah i was forgotten about by pete he's like i don't remember that i'm like it happened uh so i, so I it promise was, uh, i'm still hurt by it <laughs> yeah uh so it was closed beta the beta keys were starting to roll out i didn't have one i was very upset uh but i, I went to twitch because it was the first day the nda was lifted and people could stream it and someone was doing a giveaway in their chat for like an extra beta key they had because obviously this person was so lucky and privileged to have two of them and i had zero so i just i typed whatever in the chat to enter you know i was just this no-name guy on twitch i actually won it out of like 50 people in the chat so that night yeah unreal uh that that giveaway literally led into a career for you Pretty much, yeah. And that guy doesn't stream anymore, so I can't even thank him. Like, I have no yeah. idea how to contact him. <laughs> can't even find him anymore. No, no. Uh, for those of you who were around in 2016, it was Erlex, if you remember his stream. Um, he had the green screen behind him. He'd always change. But, uh, yeah, I won a beta key, and that night I streamed. Um, actually, on the same computer I'm using now, because that's how much I update technology. But, yeah, um, <laughs> I streamed that night, uh, got around 20 viewers or 30 or something. It, for me, it was insane. Because I was used to half of that number, and I was sure. used to that over a long period of time. So like 20 viewers, I was like, oh my god, this is this is incredible. And I liked the game, and I was buying packs and opening them. Uh, and then I streamed more and more and started doing some videos, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. 
Wow, that's an that's an incredible story. Uh, you know, our our paths do cross in card games, maybe a little bit more. I was a Pokemon player in uh, middle school, so that dates me even more. Because in '99, I was in sixth grade, um, and then uh, and my <laughs> listeners already know this stuff, but I did transition to Yu-Gi-Oh for a very short amount of time. I went to one local tournament at a, at a local game shop that was called New Dimension Comics. There's a bunch of them in our community where they sell really overpriced stuff, and uh, and I got trashed so hard by like you know, like six year olds. Um, and it was just like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. Uh, so <laughs> I dove headlong into magic, the gathering. And, and that was, you know, like everybody else, that's the last card game that most people do play. If they get into a card game, they fall into magic, the gathering, and then they don't ever really climb back out. Um, and, uh, and so I didn't climb out until college when I could no longer afford to play magic, the gathering. And the people that I was playing with were getting more competitive than me and I couldn't keep up with them. Um, so I made that jump over to Hearthstone and like you, um, I got into the Hearthstone community and I, I wasn't a, a a streamer, but I podcasted. So I ran a, a podcast for about a year um, called Fireside Talks with a couple of friends. And uh, in a similar way, I was crowded out of that community because there was just too much noise to fall into. Um, and so after about a year uh, and only a couple of people listening to the podcast, we quit. And, and I've likewise, I've had this amazing experience. I started this podcast about a month ago. Um, I have an, a special and really cool announcement to make today. Um, and, and on top of that, we're, you know, getting, uh, you know, 90 to over 100 uh, people listening to the podcast each week already. And this today actually marks like one month of me starting the podcast. Um, and so that's a really happy exciting podcast anniversary. Yeah. Pod. I, if that's a thing. <laughs> I'll yeah. Sure. I'll Let's make it a thing. It. I'll celebrate <laughs> it. That's, that's fine. Um, and so, yeah, well that's, that's so cool. And so then you were working. So I came on listening to your stream. You were a streamer. Um, probably one of the more popular ones, definitely one of the more popular ones in the Elder Scrolls Legends community, um, sort of during that era when everyone was stream farming. Um, and so, uh, and, and trying to get drops. And I remember sort of sitting in your stream, seeing there being, you know, sometimes 1,200, more than that, uh, people who were in your stream and, and only ever having, you know, four or five people actually engaging with you as the streamer and watched some of your frustration about that, watched a lot of your frustration around the fact that there wasn't a pro scene, there wasn't a tournament scene rising up in Elder School Legends, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we get the announcement that you're now going to be working for Bethesda. So tell us a little, if you're able to, tell us a little bit about how that happened. Um, how did you end up getting connected with them? Did you apply? Did they reach out to you? Were they just listening to your stream and hearing you say, and they just said, you know what, this is the guy that we need. He's passionate about this. Let's get him on board to do the thing that he wants to see us do. Yeah, so um, I had some contact with Bethesda, um, even though Pete definitely burned me on that beta key. <laughs> Wow. And, and you're getting revenge because that's the second time you've burnt Pete just on this episode. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. No, we have fun. <laughs> so, that's good. Um, let me see. So it's the first like the first real contact I had outside of that. Um, so our old brand manager, Solid Age, AJ, he, he obviously Joey Howells, our brand manager now. Um, you see him a lot on the weekly streams if you tune into that. Uh, but AJ actually, um, you know, was a big part of the reason I got partnered on Twitch it was way before affiliate was a thing, uh, and it was way before I had 
the viewership to get partnered. So he put in a good word for me uh, back when I was averaging 50, 60 viewers or something like that, um, back, which was still, you know, obviously a ton for me. But at that point, I was starting to get hungry for partnership. And people were like, hey, when are you going to get those emotes? And I'm like, I have not the number of viewers Twitch once. Uh, but it was sure. like October 2016, a few months after I started and I actually got partnered uh, myself and a French streamer named Santos Vela. Um, I think AJ put in a good word for both of us, which was really helpful for that. So I talked about that a little bit. Um, after that, uh, my current boss, community director, Matt Grandstaff, um, we talked a little bit because I gave him some feedback on an ESL tournament series that was going on. Um, and also there was one instance where he was looking for someone to get on front page promotion on Twitch. Um, and if you don't know much about the front page, it's not really a thing where they'll like randomly put someone on the front page. There's a whole application process. And mm. um, yeah, because, you know, I've done things like I want to get this tournament or something like, you know, the, the Master Series qualifiers, um, some of them wound up on the front page. And there is a whole process I had to go through with our, our rep to, to get those on there and approved. And there's a lot of different streams vying for front page promotion. But uh, he wanted someone for Legends. I don't remember exactly what time frame it was or why, but he reached out to me because he was like, hey, you're you're one of our better streamers. So, you know, let's let's do this thing. Essentially, that's not the word he used, but <laughs> that's what he meant. So so I talked to him a little bit previously. Um, and yeah, there were some frustrating things about that summer as far as like the drop farming and everything. Sure. Uh, but it hundred percent, no doubt, um, that viewership increase, uh, because of a combination of the drops and the steam release and the mobile release a little bit prior. And also I have to say the E3 hype probably helped a lot too. There was a lot of, it was like the perfect storm that June of 2017. Uh, my viewership jumped to a number where I could actually make money in a substantial way. Um, I was making money off partnership previously, but it was like not worth mentioning so much. It was like if I make $300 a month on Twitch and $50 on YouTube, but I'm putting 40 hours a week in, that's mm, not mm-hmm. really – it's not really working. So, um, yeah, so it obviously increased by exponentially in that summer. Um, I think the best month I had on Twitch was around 3000 almost, so pretty good. Um, yeah, that's you know, awesome. better than before. Um, after that, it did decline when the drop sort of uh, dried up a little bit. But um, yeah, uh, after that, I think it was December um, when I got a DM from, uh, you know, my boss currently, community director, Grandstaff, and uh, he just sort of messaged me the job description. Um, they had someone who was doing community duties um, who left the company before for Legends, but they didn't have someone dedicated to the game, and they really wanted one uh, moving into what the community would then learn to be the developer transition and all of the uh, the stuff surrounding that. It was a very important time to have that connection, I think. Sure. Um, so you needed someone who's consistently communicating with the people who are playing the game, uh, especially during a time where you might be running into some frustration, some glitches, all of those sorts of things. Um, I think that Bethesda really needed a face for this game, and you were able to step in and become that face. Yeah, yeah, and at the time when he messaged me, it was still so early, like, there were still so many even aesthetic things about the game, the way it was going to look in the future that hadn't been decided yet. Mm. Um, So a lot of the things that I did when I first started, uh, and I have to give Pete Hines credit, too, because he he actually, I think, takes a lot of the credit. He was like, oh, I recommended you because, you know, you kind of know what's going on with Legends. So thanks, Pete. Uh, he's probably not watching this. <laughs> Third so burn. <laughs> both a cut at Pete and also burns it burns at Pete and, and compliments thrown <laughs> towards him. It's a really bipolar stream for Pete right here. It's, it's a complicated relationship, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it must be. It must be. 
Yeah, oh, today, one of my coworkers was like, hey, we're doing a magic draft for Pete, and I, I was like, I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> yeah, they, they did. <laughs> but I was busy. Uh, so, um, yeah, some of my first things I'd done the job was, a lot of it was supplying feedback to Sparky Pants, and we had some summits over there. Uh, they're an hour away in Baltimore. Okay. So, okay. you know, simple things like, um, you know, why are the rarity gems different colors? Or they're obviously different colors. Why are they different shapes? That was a lot. Mm-hmm. Like we had discussions and email threads about that. And that was actually our product owner at the time who was colorblind. He's like, no, I don't know what rarity these things are. So we need to make them different shapes. And okay. uh, and like I was really adamant about some design elements. Like I, I needed the attribute icons to be visible on the board. I didn't want you to have to hover over to a card to figure out what attribute it was. Some of the early mock-ups were like way more colorful than the current cards are on the board. Like they were vibrant and sort of neon. But when they did away with that, mm-hmm. I was like, no, we need to put the the attribute icons in a, like a hanger down there. And there was like so many different mock-ups because like the entire game was was rebuilt from the ground up. So the feedback was really crucial. And and even you know getting down into the nitty-gritty of just the way every small thing looked. So that was mm-hmm. part of my job. That that was wow. the visible part of it. Sure. So you were being consulted consistently for just the the basic design, the aesthetic of the game uh, from from everything, from cards to where things are positioned, gemstone colors, rarity colors, all of those things. Um, you were giving a lot of input into the community for, hey, this is how this is actually going to look and how it's actually going to be. Yeah, yeah, we had even we did this thing called the Daily Game where we'd sit in a conference room. Um, it was myself, uh, one of our producers, brand manager, QA, uh, a couple other people, and like some Sparky Pants people, and we would just go through like we'd take an hour or so and go through the same like a flow. Like we're gonna go from the main menu to entering a game, and we would do it like over and over and just really nitpick everything we possibly could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the time, there was a lot to nitpick because it was still like a very early alpha type of client because it was you know way before the relaunch actually happened but you know just things like that button doesn't make the right sound or <laughs> you mm. know something as simple mm-hmm. as that uh or like that's you know that button shouldn't be there or why is that button there why does that say that thing um you know i can't even really remember a lot of it but it was it was very in-depth so let me ask you this then and this is not a question that i had written beforehand but i'm i'm curious because i'm somebody who is in leadership and um and so as a person who's in leadership and leading others um and you are really the face of the community um and you had your hand in a lot of the aesthetic things that went on in this in this game when when we got the relaunch um of everything um how how do you just manage all of the feedback that you get because i'm sure that you get some feedback that's positive but i mean when you really put your heart and your soul into a project and then people decide that they're just going to trash it because we did get a lot of negative feedback after um you know the relaunch and everything and we had the new client and all of that um how do you just as an individual because i think it's it's really easy sometimes as a, a gamer and as a player to just hurl stuff at people assuming that you're hurling it at this this big monstrosity of an organization that's making millions of dollars off of me playing their games and and you don't realize that when you start hurling insults or you start giving criticism um, in a harsh way that you you are directly attacking and affecting the people who've put their heart and soul into this and they love the game they're trying to create something that the players will love so how did you wade through some of that stuff um, as a Elder Scrolls Legends player as a Bethesda employee Um, because I'm sure that's not easy to receive all of that feedback when people can do it so anonymously behind the internet yeah, I mean, as a streamer, I guess I had uh, a little bit of practice having thick skin because people will leave anonymous and rude YouTube comments or, uh, you know, 
you know, they'll come to your stream and say something. So, you know, I'd banned people from my stream chat before. Um, but when it's on such a large scale, you know, especially surrounding the relaunch, you know, it can be it can be pretty trying. But more often than not, the, the 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 feedback I see, with probably the exception of that relaunch, was has always been very positive. Hmm. Uh, and even the negative stuff, and even the negative stuff surrounding uh, that poorly received transition, the way it was before the first couple patches came out, uh, the community's always done a really really great job of at least as that I've seen, is not making it personal. Uh, with some exceptions, I have received some personal attacks, but even the personal attacks I've received, like, if you phrase them the right way, they're kind of jokingly attacks almost. Like, they're mm-hmm. you know, just kind of digs. Like, I've never felt like... Let's put it this way. I've never gotten a death threat. <laughs> you know, A lot of okay. community managers have gotten death threats. Uh, I've never gotten that. Um, maybe it's because I was known in the community before, but generally speaking, even if someone is really upset about something in the game, they tend to not make it personal. Um, maybe it's not always most respectful. If they're very frustrated about something, you know, emotion can take over there. But um, yeah, I think that's just part of the job. I had to be prepared for that going into it. Um, actually using the feedback can be more difficult and challenging because you have to some some like there can be so many different things that happen when you receive a piece of feedback um a like actually turning the feedback into something that is done isn't just mm-hmm. up to me um you know that's that could be anything depending on the kind of feedback it is from an a vfx guy's job or like a whole new patch or a server fix or maybe it requires qa time maybe it requires overtime maybe it requires a whole readjustment in the financial forecast um maybe it requires um a movement of some things that were going to be in the next patch to the patch after that who knows what it is uh if it's a car design thing um, I can pass that feedback along, but a lot of the, the future cards haven't been designed, so that's actually kind of the most malleable, I guess. But, you know, if someone has a feedback like, um, you know, I want the animations to be faster. Let's use, I guess, one that was a, a very common piece of feedback. Uh, sure. You know, that's a lot of work, because each animation is its own thing, so um, eventually we did make them faster, actually. A lot of the attack animations got sped up, I think, last patch, and even that has its own problems, because sometimes they can look too fast now, <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, you, you yeah know, conscription got sped up. That was very nice. That was nice yeah. to have, have a speed up on. You know, I just like my uh, – I talk a lot about kind of like my heart in being part of this community because I am not one – I don't know if I'm rare in this, but I'm not one of the community members in Tesla who is trying to make a full-time job out of what I'm doing. I'm enjoying the, the podcasting. I'm enjoying it. Um, but I have a heart to create a, a brighter and a better – uh, environment um, for people to play this game in and to sort of fight against the toxic nature of things. And I think a lot of times people can get in that mode where they do hurl everything at you and then they think that you can fix everything, right? Like obviously you created all the problems. You don't have a whole team standing behind you. It's, and so they, if you're the face of things, they can hurl stuff at you and think it's going to stick to you because, you know, well, it's obviously everything's his problem because he's the guy who I see on the stream. He's the face that I see, you know, at, uh, at the announcement. And what people don't realize is you have an entire structure that isn't just a design team that's behind you. It's not just people who are creating video games. You have an entire financial department that's behind you because this game has to make money for you to have a job. Um, You know, you have a whole lot of other things that are going on behind the scenes. Um, And so when you go on stream, I mean, you're representing probably a very large amount of people who are all working for Bethesda. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and especially the way um, the infrastructure is for Legends, where Bethesda is the publisher, Sparky Pants is the developer, and then you know they contract out car designers. So the majority of people at Sparky Pants are not car designers. 
the majority of people at Bethesda, none of the people at Bethesda are car designers. Mm, so mm-hmm. the vast majority of people I talk to are like, um, you know, PR brand. Obviously, I talk to uh, Joey all the time. I talk to our producer, the Sparky Pants producer, our product owner. I talk to yeah, some finance people, some some Bnet people. Like if I want to do something with like Twitch drops or or a stream being promoted, that's its whole thing. Like very little of it is actually like you know car design. So if someone's like ah CVH is the reason this car is overpowered, like I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd love the sure. credit, but. <laughs> sure. I mean, people would love to put too much influence on you so that they have the opportunity to blame you for something. Um, and, you know, I think oh, I, I, I am. I'm the reason uh, Sil, Thadon and Spawn Mother are as good as they are, because before I saw those three, they were a little worse. And I was like, no, I need those to be good. Just for, <laughs> okay. like, I was like, the community's going to be upset if this costs five. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I think that uh, it's always good to kind of get a picture of what's going on behind the scenes just a little bit, um, even if it's not really detailed to just know like, hey, the people who are developing this game are human beings. Um, they're real people who've put their heart, who've put endless hours, blood, sweat and tears into creating something that they hope that the players will love. They don't they don't create something in hopes that people will hate it. Um, and you can't leverage things at people because a, a, a company as large as Bethesda is incredibly intricate. The communication lines are incredibly complex and there's no one person who just has jurisdiction over everything um, and can just make all the calls. And so uh, I think it's helpful for people to kind of see that. And I think it, it helps people to understand a little bit of how things work so they can cut people a break because honestly, the online community sometimes just need to cut people a break. Um, and uh, For sure. Yeah. And there's even and there's even times I've seen this. Like I'm I'm less attached to each individual card personally because I didn't design them. But as as uh you know um sort of robust and sometimes even annoying as the process for like every little thing can be on my end, the design process is also very robust. You know they go through a lot of iterations of cards. Most of the ideas they have don't make it to the final product. So sometimes they get very excited about a card that they think will be sort of a fan favorite, and it might fall flat. You know I remember. Uh, we were pulling the stats for a certain frame of reference, and one of the designers was asking, "Ooh, how does how did this card do?" I was hoping it'd be like a fan favorite, and someone else is like, "It's not doing very good." <laughs> <laughs> Just like, don't want to, don't want to hurt predator. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but Apex you know, some predator. Cards, yeah, because he was. Uh, I think he thinks. Um, I mean, that card might actually be doing his job because it's supposed to be like the sort of fun to experiment with kind of card, not necessarily top tier competitive. You know, yeah. if you want to push it, it'd be pretty easy. Just make it like a 5.6 or 5.7. I don't know, something like that. Uh, Apex something that Predator make... absolutely trashed me in a game uh, just a little bit ago. So. Oh, did he move it a million times? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. yes. Well, see, not, I don't even want to talk about it. I was so frustrated. <laughs> see, that's the thing about Apex Predator, right? Like, it's, it's objectively probably not as good as Blood Dragon, but... You can't do that with Blood Dragon. <laughs> no, and there's so little. If you're not running a deck that just can remove it, um, it's not like you can just throw a guard up in front of it and stop it from doing its thing. It can just bounce back and forth and buff up, buff up, buff up, buff up. And before you know it, you took eight points of damage and they gained eight health and then they attacked you for ten damage in the lane you didn't want it in. Um, yep. Yeah, And then it moves super, again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, super fun. Um Wow. Yeah. So I will say this. I'm glad you didn't make Apex Predator any stronger than what it is. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with rarely running into it. I'm really happy that I don't have to I don't have to see it more often. Um, so before we move on, I want to talk about QuakeCon because I want to get into that. Obviously, that's what people are going to want to be hearing about, how you're getting ready for that. And uh, and we're going to be talking about the Masters uh, series and predictions and stuff. But I just want to take a moment to make our announcement for the Legends Cast podcast. So this week, Legends Cast did um, 
team up with rank star and so uh rank star you probably i have an advertisement here at the beginning of the episode so you probably you know had a little bit of an idea about what the announcement was um but rank star is a website that covers a lot of different games um they're consistently putting out uh different open tournaments uh for the elder scrolls legends so make sure you swing over and check them out we now have a podcast page on there so actually if you go to the top of their website um there's a drop down menu that says podcast and you go right to legends cast and then you can go and you can click on all the different links listen to the latest episode um catch all the latest stuff and i'm just so so thankful because i once again i podcasted for a year before and i don't know that anybody listened to me and within a month um i was able to work with legend star or rank star um and so i'm so so excited and so very grateful for rank star working uh with legends cast it is great to be part of the community and great to be embraced as part of the community so thank you so much to rank star um for allowing us to to be hosted on um their website and for partnering with us and sponsoring this podcast so rankstar you are awesome and make sure to check out their uh, their parent company uh, one of their sponsors inked gaming and uh and make sure you swing over there because if you are a video gamer or specifically a tabletop gamer like me um ink gaming has some really awesome stuff i didn't even knew they know they existed before i started working with rankstar um and so make sure that you go check out ink gaming you can get custom playmats custom bags custom card sleeves all sorts of things, and they have a wide array of really cool artwork on stuff already that you can just buy right off of their store. So make sure you go over to Ink Gaming and use that code TRS12 um, to get 12% off. And of course, some of that goes back to Team to uh, Team Rank Star, and so uh, just awesome. Yeah, go check out their website. They are TeamRankStar.com. Okay, let's move on and talk a little bit about QuakeCon CVH because uh, that is just right around the corner. I mean, this episode is going to drop, I think, on Wednesday morning, and, and QuakeCon starts on Thursday. So you're shipping off to where Dallas, Texas. Is that correct? That is correct. My flight is actually um, Wednesday. Yeah, I leave for the airport Wednesday morning. Uh, okay. I'll get there that night. And uh, then we have rehearsals and media day on Thursday and the big event on Friday. At 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Twitch.tv forward slash TES Legends. Oh, okay. Well, how, let's go through that one more time so that people can take a moment and make sure they remember it. Because I didn't even go through to make sure I knew that information. So how can people watch the Masters series? Because that's the big event, right? That's the one you're talking about. Yeah, well, you know, to make it easy on yourself, go to twitch.tv forward slash TES Legends right now. Hit the follow button. Get those notifications because when we go live, you'll know about it. But we will go live um, on Friday, uh, July 26th at uh, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. That's 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific. Uh, No idea what it is in Europe. You're going to have to Google that conversion yourself (laughs) if you are in Europe. Uh, as I always do if I need to announce a European time just to make sure I get it right. Uh, and yeah, the stream should be somewhere between, I'm going to say eight or nine hours. It's kind of hard to guess, but we will be streaming all seven matches, all quarterfinals, all semifinals, and the grand final as we crown a champion. Just like walk all in one go? Uh, I mean, there'll be like, a, you know, really short breaks, but like there'll be like three minute breaks for, you know, the video content we have. Yeah, it's just a one day, all day sort of thing. Uh, Actually, last year we did the same kind of thing. We did two days, and uh, they were both incredibly long because the meta was very slow. And our our day two was 10 hours and some change just for seven matches, which was kind of unbelievable. And looking back on it, that's a very long day for seven matches. Uh, But we had coffee, so it worked. 
<laughs> okay, well, yeah, that sounds like a long, exhausting day. I'm sure that after you get done with that, it's easy to fall asleep uh, and just just be done because that's a lot of casting. That's a lot of talking. Uh, the average American yeah. speaks about 5,000 words a day. You guys will probably be putting in 25,000 plus by the time you're done with that day. Uh, so that's yeah, it, it definitely a lot helps of to have a, a solid crew. You know, I'm not alone. Lasergician uh, is going to be our host, uh, so he'll be handling a lot of those duties. And of course, I'll be casting with some fabulous co-casters: uh, Charmer, Silverfuse, and from Sparky Pants, TDC Jason. Oh, awesome! That's awesome. Yeah, I think some people watch uh, the, the casters and think, oh, they have like a really easy job. I don't think you realize how exhausting it is to talk for that long. Uh, your your diaphragm, your chest hurts, your back hurts, your kidneys hurt by the time you're done with it. Man, it's an exhausting day to talk all day long. And especially as a caster, uh, man, you got to fill a lot of space as a caster um, to you know ensure that you're keeping people consistently entertained. There's always got to be something going on, always talking. Um, although yeah, I, guess- I remember that was actually a crazy moment last year at the Masters when we had a, we had some makeup people, some hair and makeup people. Uh, because Charmer and I especially needed them because we are we're lost without our makeup. So um, mm. <laughs> so actually they they would come on like during the match you wouldn't be able to hear it because we'd mute our mics but they would come on and like fix our faces for us in the middle of the match. And one time it was myself Charmer and was it Justin or Corey? It was one of them. But like all the makeup people came on at once and like they told us to mute our mics and they all started like putting makeup on our faces and then like i get production in my ear too and he's like you guys got to say something i'm like there are people putting makeup on all of our faces right now like, what do I yeah do? how can we say something right now get someone like, out ah, of get here get away get away like <laughs> i don't need it that bad like a pimple didn't just appear that needed to be <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh man well it looks like you're gonna have a really long day so let me ask you this you got some predictions man i just saw i think today uh all of the deck lists went out um and uh at for the for the finals or for the for the tournament so all those deck lists are out i found it on reddit but it is actually posted i think on a blog post on bethesda's site um i i don't really want to mess up some of these names um because there are definitely some difficult names here so we have uh bomb's life is going to be facing off against frenzy one and oh uh, that's boom's life boom's life sorry boom's life oh yeah i'm, I'm not not reading and that, now i play the game did he mispronounce it or did i spell it wrong on the forums <laughs> uh no no i think it, okay. it gets spelled correctly uh uh faffle and uh what do we got here uh super is it supposed to be super thanks five 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 is that yeah, is that how thanks. he wants to pronounce super thanks super okay. for short yeah. Okay. Faffle and Super for short are, are going to be going off. Uh, Witta, um, and then a long name with a K that I absolutely cannot pronounce. Kara. I guess you could probably go with Kara. He wouldn't mind, but I always pronounce it Karakon Zul, but actually he corrected everyone. It's Karakon Jewel. Sort of Karakon like Karakon Jewel. Karakon Jewel. Karakon Jewel. Yeah. Okay. And Witta are facing off. And then we have what? Foldier and Flow? Is that Foldier is correct there? Yeah, Fuldier is correct. Okay, Fuldier is correct. Or, or he's never corrected me in a couple of years. Okay, well, I think he would have. <laughs> I think he would have by now. Um, so we have that. Those eight players are coming up. We have their deck list. So everyone's bringing four decks. Tell me about. Do you have a prediction now that you've seen the deck list? Evh. I mean, you're a longtime player of the game, tournament player. So, uh, what are you thinking about the people bringing the decks? Any surprises? Because I have a couple of surprises. 
yeah, there's definitely some surprises. Some things didn't surprise me, and I, I like that, that there's still some certainty in the world. Um, mm. Like, for example, Boom's Life, he loves uh, control decks. He also loves Pilfer Monk, but he also mm. likes to win. No kidding. <laughs> but, sure. Uh, he, he loves control decks. He's, he actually was really successful all throughout the, the qualifier season with these like sort of slow, grindy decks like Ebonheart. Um, mm. Ebonheart saw some, some pretty severe nerfs, um, and I think rightfully so, but it's kind of cool to see him continue to bring that deck. Uh, sort of, I would say partially as a comfort zone pick, probably. He probably has a lot of solid metagame reasoning to bring it to, but you know he's, he's sticking with the decks that he performed well with all season uh, despite them being nerfed. Um, so I like that. Karakhan's Jewel, uh, he he usually brings some some very small inclusions in his list that I find incredibly wacky, like a lot of ones ofs and two ofs uh, that I always want to ask, hey, why did you play one of that card and, and one of that card? Um, so his lists always look a bit funky to me, and I really really like watching him pilot them and know how every single card fits in. Um, you know, fans of the Legends competitive scene will know that Karakhan's Jewel uh, was the second place. Um, you know, he was the runner-up last year to Please Don't Hack Me. Karakhanjul won $10,000 last year, so um, mm. this is sort of his year to... He's three wins away from sort of redeeming himself there. And two wins away from another $10,000. I mean, you know, getting second again wouldn't be the worst. That's <laughs> still pretty good. Sure. Uh, he, has a, you know, he has an interesting lineup because he's he is one of the ones who you're seeing aggro, control, and rage from him. Um, and not everybody – some people have sort of stuck in their lane. Like this is what I'm familiar with. I'm familiar with control or I'm familiar with sort of aggressive decks, and that's they've stayed in their lane. But a couple of the, the competitors have branched out, and they've brought a variety of decks um and and he's one of them who's sort of i think playing that matchup game a little bit better like he does he's not a one-trick pony he's not just going in there doing this one thing he's learned how to play a variety of different types of decks and i think that's interesting will certainly make him competitive yeah and i think that's a a feature of the format too um a lot of the there's a lot of pros and cons to this last class standing format versus conquest uh basically for those who don't know in in this format if you win with a deck you keep playing with it if you lose with a deck it's out uh, in mm-hmm. Conquest, however, if you win with a deck, you have to play a different deck, and you basically have to win with all of your decks. So in, in a format like that, you'll see a lot of sort of homogenized lineups like, I'm going to bring all of these control decks because they will all beat this one specific aggro deck, and if my opponent can't win with that deck, he can't win the match. Um, mm-hmm. Not a thing not a thing in this format because if you beat the aggro deck, they'll switch to a different deck that will prey on your control deck, and unless you have sort of a different kind of strategy. Uh, if they have a deck that can run train through your lineup, that's going to be a problem. So you can't bring all all the same deck, really. You can't bring sort of different, uh, I guess, you know, a, a deck with a facelift. <laughs> you know, they're all they're all mono red, but with some some you know different workings. Um, so I sure. so I do like that a lot of people play that game and, and they're like, all right, well if I lose with this deck, I'll play this wildly different deck that will be good against the deck that would have beaten the first deck. But of course that can get thrown out the window if you play against a wacky lineup, things you're not expecting, and players still have to take into consideration, um, you know, what they're going to ban. So I'm sure these players, having tested for the last month or so, they'll come into this event knowing the kind of decks they don't want to play against with their lineup um you know even though they might have a counter to a couple decks they'll probably still have a list in their mind of like all right this is the deck i want to ban this is the deck i want to beat etc like if i if i'm playing a you know lineup with multiple control decks that are very slow and grindy uh, maybe i don't mind playing against you know sort of a, a mid-range deck uh, like Dagoth, that might not be the fastest. It might not be able to get under me. Maybe it's not playing Withered and Cultist. If it's you know, if it's an aggro deck without Withered and Cultist or without a bunch of card draw, you can outgrind it. Um, 
you know, things like that. Like, you know, sure. sort of identifying which is the most damaging overall, because it could just run through you. <laughs> sure. So just really quickly, so that you know, the listening community. I think we do have a lot of people who are newer to the newer to the game who are listening because I've had some comments. Um, asking some questions that would be asked by by newer players. Um, if you're, we're looking at some dynamics because there's some uh, in the, in any sort of a card game. There's sort of a, there's a little bit of a rock paper scissors element to it, and I think that Elder Scrolls Legends beats this better than most. Um, but typically, aggro, very fast, very aggressive decks match up pretty well against control decks because they just can't they can't. Uh, outlive that initial burst of damage um mid-range um is often uh, very good against uh against aggro decks because they're able to get on the board quicker get some beefier creatures on the board whereas your control decks are going to be better against your mid-range because they can just one for one stuff and eventually they have bigger creatures and more impactful creatures than you have so when we're looking and then you have on the fringes are, are combo decks which are a little bit different that you typically want to put against specific control decks that don't have tools to stop you from pulling off your combo um and uh, and so if you're newer to the game and you're you're hearing like okay why does why would you want to go up aggro against control that doesn't make any sense I get killed by ice storm all the time um, well typically if you can play aggressive enough you're, you'll be able to beat that um, so there's a lot of really cool decks that are definitely being brought here I've put uh, all of them together although I don't own qu- quite every card um, the one card I will say this that I was really surprised to see as much as I've seen it because honestly I haven't been I guess as impressed about it as everybody else is the legendary card um, in yellow. Uh, I think his name is Varen. He's a four mana, four six um, that causes whatever one of your runes break. Instead of drawing a card, you gain five life. Why do you think we're seeing so much of that card in this specific tournament? Um, let's see. Um, how do I? I guess I could give some stats. Um, let me make sure it's from the set I think it is. So I'm sorry, it's late, guys. I want to make sure. Um, that wow. I'm not getting the stat wrong because there's a lot of other cards out there. Um, but yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, and I could be wrong here, I don't want to misquote the stats, but I'm pretty sure that Varen was actually the highest win rate card from Alliance War. Um, okay. I'm trying to think of other things in Alliance War. It was definitely up there. Um, but Alliance War, it really changed the meta in that it introduced a lot of new color combinations to play. But mm-hmm. as far as like strictly high power level cards... Um, like when looking at the stats, like the decks that included Varen, um, or like Varen as a card compared to the other cards in the set, when it was included, the decks did better, which by itself is like sort of a small stat that could mean a lot of things. And it doesn't really account for like, when is it played versus when it's not played, but, uh, sure. it kind of immediately saw play in virtually the vast majority of decks that played yellow because mm-hmm. as a control tool, you know, its benefits are kind of clear it it stops you from dying which is you know often more important than getting extra cards in your hand we've all been there as a control deck where you have um you know 30 magicka of cards in your hands but you have four magicka to play them with so Mm -hmm. you know the card advantage is very irrelevant there but it's all about you know the fact that you're actually dead on board um and the, the same tool is very useful in an aggro mirror match if you're playing like a let's say uh, you know, a yellow token-based deck. Um, it allows you to sort of take the reins there and really start to race in one lane, as long as you already have enough cards to sort of fuel your your fire there and keep going turn after turn. Um, it forces your opponent to deal with what you have on board because there's no way that they can essentially race the amount of life you have plus the amount of additional pseudo-life that Varen packs on top of it. You know, if you're at 20 life, but you still have, like, three or four runes left... 
that's You're that's a massive 40. amount. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is a massive amount to deal with unless you have a silence or removal for Varian. Uh, and then trading into it is often wildly inefficient. As an aggro deck, you have to maybe sacrifice two. Six. Yeah, you're sacrificing two or three creatures, or at the very least, a lot of at least six damage to deal with it. Um, so it can really sort of set the pace of a of an aggro mirror match. It's a very high pressure card in that way, uh, whether you're a control deck or not. It really it is kind of bad when you are an aggressive deck and you play it against a control deck. Um, but even then, it's not really doing anything that wasn't already a factor. Like a control deck's not going to want to break your runes early anyway to give you cards. Um, so if you play Varen, they probably will take a free rune break because they'd rather you have the life than a card. But it's not like if you hadn't played the Varen, they'd be giving you cards, you know. So sure. it's in that in that kind of case, it's still just a pretty decent body. Uh, four six is still going to be kind of annoying to deal with. Might make a piercing javelin come out instead of just getting lightning bolted or channeled storm very easily like a lot of cards do. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. but overall, I think it's you know an incredibly useful card. Um, Really, really annoying to see in an aggro mirror match for sure. <laughs> so just out of curiosity, because I can't, I, I didn't have the time to go through all the statistics and look at all these decks. Do you know what the most represented card is in in the Master Series by chance? Ooh, that's tough. Uh, I do not. I know okay. it's. Okay. I know the most represented deck is Battle Mage. I know the second most represented sure. is Guild Sworn, and then it goes to Tribunal and Dagoth. Each have four. And there's like a smattering of different decks at like three and below. There's like Crusader with three. Um, a lot of a lot of different decks have one. Um, sure. I, w- I would imagine that the most common card is something really obvious, like mm-hmm. Wardcrafter. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I'm that's just gonna probably, guess. There's a lot of blue. There's a lot of blue. So yeah. I went ahead and went through well, and I looked it's at an, all. Maybe it's Encano. Probably Encano. Yeah, he's probably pretty present as well so i went through and i I evaluated the decks that are out there so in this particular tournament there are six battle mages all six battle mages are mid-range battle mages there actually widas i think is aggro it depends i mean i could see someone calling it mid-range but he's going face (laughs) he's right yeah they're all they're all uh they're all battle mages that are you know could be considered mid-range but all probably on the aggressive side of mid-range Oh yeah, they're not control for sure. Uh, yeah, they're all the good stuff. <laughs> so then we have we have five guild sworn decks. Every single one of those decks is a rage deck. So all five all five guild sworn decks I saw are rage. There are four Dagoth decks. I I categorize two as aggro, two as mid range. There are four tribunal decks. Interesting. Three of those are control, and one of those seems to be like a mid range tribunal. Um, we have three Crusaders, which I think is interesting. That's one of the next more uh, represented one. Those three Crusaders are three different ones, the most diverse set. So we have a Rage Crusader, a Token Crusader, and an Aggro Crusader. Um, Halalu, there's three of those, and I think all three of those could be easily categorized as Aggro, Aggro Halalu. Um, we have one Archer deck. It's a Rage deck. One Redoran deck that's definitely a really aggressive deck, if not a full-blown Aggro deck. One Empire deck that is a token deck, a Dominion deck that is a mid-range Dominion, which is one of the more interesting ones, I think. Um, uh, an Ebonheart deck that is, it's actually a Consecration, I, uh, or not Consecration, I'm sorry, uh, a Conscription. That's um, the wrong game. <laughs> yeah, wrong, wrong game. I just hey, pro- Consecration I would be pretty good against Conscription, though. It like would be think about it. good. It would be good. Ebonheart, a uh, Conscription. There's a Telvani that runs a Conscription deck, but I think it's more of a, a combo deck. More of a control deck, probably, because it's also running Ulfric's Uprising, um, which I think is interesting. But Ulfric's Uprising without the Path Mages, although it has the Mentor Ring combo in it. 
um, and then one mid-range sorcerer deck that is running Bone Daddy in it, um, yes. which is personally my favorite thing to see. Um, real God quickly, bless Witta for that, by the uh, way. Like yeah. that is my favorite thing. <laughs> I know. I'm I'm rooting for him because of Bone Daddy, uh, exclusively because of Bone Daddy. Um, that does leave that we do not have any assassin, mage, monk, scout, spell sword. Or warrior deck. Um, those are the those are the the classes that we're missing from Dual Keller, um, which is of course most of them. We're only seeing what's uh, three Archer, Crusader, and Sorcerer um, from from Dual Keller, and and Battle Mage of course. And then uh, the one Tri Keller deck that we're not seeing any presence from is Daggerfall Covenant. Um, yeah, so that was like, really surprising to me. That last one, no Daggerfall. I could have sworn we'd at least see one. I talked a little bit with uh, a little Jamie, the streamer, last week on the show, and I think honestly it's because you build uh, a Daggerfall and you play it, and you're just like, this would just be better if it was ba- a Battle Mage. Like, if I just get rid of the purple in this, it's just a better deck. Um, I could be wrong about that, but in my experience, it's just like uh, this deck is just better at 50 cards. It has all of the cards that I want in it at 50 as a mid-range battle mage. Um, yeah, I guess it depends. Um, I think when I build Daggerfall versus Battle Mage, I take a different approach. Um, like Battle Mage, mid-range Battle Mage is such a powerful deck because it is so good at being reactive and, and basically turning on the heat whenever it wants. And recent additions like Alfie Conjure and Mighty Conjuring just sort of drive that home. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you can play so defensively with your Breton Conjures, and you'll draw them consistently. You'll draw the rapid shots and the rewarding tools. Um, when I played Daggerfall, it's I still call it midrange, but you could make the case that that's more aggro. Um, but I just I usually just cut Breton Conjure. Um, no question, Alfie Conjure has boosted the power level of that deck as well, even though you see it less. But for me, you sacrifice some of that combo potential and some of that reactiveness uh, for the ability to go really proactive with, like, young mammoths, um, maybe some Barrow Stalkers to really, you know, that, that can be your tool against aggro, and you play Haunting Spirits, and you can go Sower mm-hmm. Revenge. So, like, I mean, mid-range Battle Mage can do a lot of things, but it can't play Sower Revenge after Haunting Spirit, <laughs> and then curve into Alfie Conjure, and, you know, that's pretty nuts. Like, the that fact that you get strong. to play Sower and Alfie in the same deck, like, no one's really coming back from that amount of pressure, so... Maybe it's a meta call. Like, there's no question that it can have some strong curves, but I would I would probably have at least tested it. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with playing Battle Mage and Daggerfall in the same lineup. Mm. You know, a lot of people instead have gone for um, Battle Mage and Dagoth, and probably the tipping point there is that people are valuing uh, the reactive Hand of Dagoth as well. You know, that's a really powerful racing tool. It can get you back in the game against aggro. So it's a very yeah. strong card. When, when I think of turn five plays that are reasonable, Sower and Hand of Dagoth both come to mind. So yeah, they're both really, really reason. strong. <laughs> sure. So just out of curiosity, this being kind of your baby, right? The the tournament, um, the Masters series. Um, are you happy with this? When you look at this and you see six battle mages, five guilds worn, you see some of these classes that aren't represented and now granted you know coming from me coming from a hearthstone background right it was like big news if it was a big tournament and one of the classes weren't represented but there's nine in 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 hearthstone there's 20 in elder scrolls legend so of course there's always going to be some classes that just don't get represented um but are you are you happy with this spattering of decks and this representation um does this do you think this speaks well of where the meta is currently or um were you hoping that after moons elsewhere you may have been seeing for example a monk deck rise to tier one um and make its way into the scene 
Yeah, and there's definitely there's always going to be something in a tournament this small that I wish someone had brought. Like Daggerfall's one, but like we've seen so much Daggerfall that you know it's not really this thing that's never been explored. Monk is a good example because if there was ever a time for Monk to see play in a tournament, it would probably be after Moons of Elsewhere. Um, you know, Pilfer has been explored. It's probably still a little too fragile as a strategy, but. I've seen a lot of people wondering why there wasn't any Wax Wayne Monk. Apparently, Aini's been playing that. Um, for those who don't know Aini, he has um, probably the best record on ladder of anyone. Maybe Thuldir is an exception. I don't know. Aini's finished number one like six times. Like, finished number one, which is Holy like... Cow. Yeah, like he's is a little bit of an absurd ladder player. Kind of makes me feel bad about my finishes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you know, if he's playing a deck, I automatically... I'm like, okay, why is he playing this? It's got to be pretty reasonable. Um I haven't seen a lot of it. Apparently, it can do some pretty crazy things, but it was probably discovered just a little too close to the decklist submission deadlines. You know, if you're practicing mm. a deck for two weeks and you see this new strategy come out, like, yeah, you could risk it and really pour some time into that, but as with anything in life, time is your most valuable resource. So if, if you've already invested that much into a deck, even if another deck is slightly more powerful and you could take that risk, um, the, the edge you get by playing a slightly less powerful deck that you've practiced with for 2,000 games, that's just a ridiculously high number, but you know you get the idea there. Like The edge you get from that level of familiarity is probably going to more often than not win you more games. So it's probably one of the considerations that the players made if they were aware of like a, a potentially powerful deck that they just found out about before the tournament. Well, um, and Wax Wayne Monk is just not an easy deck to pilot either. It has these really big swing turns, but you, you have to really evaluate when you can take those, when you should use your resources, when you shouldn't. And I've watched some people pilot it. It's definitely not an easy deck to pilot. You want some time behind that before you show up to a tournament with it, because I think it is ripe for misplays for sure. Yeah, a lot of decks like that. And, and like you could say, a mid-range Battle Mage deck is ripe for misplays too, but that's not really a new strategy. You know, it's gotten some new tools, but these people have been practicing it in many cases since 2016, so mm. they, they kind of know the general... They know when to go off with things like Breton Conjure, they know when to turn up the pressure. There's is not like this whole array of, of new cards and a new mechanic that has taken, you know, hold of the deck. Um, but yeah, I think it's really cool to see how the meta has changed so significantly since last year. Last year, one of the most dominant decks was Warrior, and we see no Warrior at all. So none. That's not no Warrior. No, no Warrior at all. Um, I mean, we got a little taste of it with like the Redoran deck, but you know, it's pretty different. Yeah, pretty different. Yeah, I don't know how well that deck is going to do. Um, yeah, I, so I love Redoran. I love, I love Underdog. Decks. I, I love Redoran <laughs> too, but I just so here was here was this thing that was surprising to me. It wasn't that Battle Mage was the most represented deck. I knew that was going to happen. I think most of us knew it was going to happen. I mean, Alfik is all over the place on the ladder right now. People are talking a lot about Alfie Conjurer. I think within like two hours of the of the set being released, I started seeing people talking about wanting a, a, a nerf on Alfie Conjurer. Um, so I, people have spoken their mind about it, and I don't mind you sharing some thoughts about Alfie, but m- my thought was more around this five rage-wielding Guildsworn decks. Um, now, I don't know. I wasn't really... It didn't really follow the Masters series very well. Has Guildsworn been a deck that's seen a lot of play in Masters, or is this just springing up since Moons has come out? Um, I kind of want to say it's been since Moons. I didn't see a ton of it in the qualifiers. Um, 
granted, like I spent a lot of this month prepping for the Masters in other ways, like, you know, working with our vendor to do like production oriented stuff and improving assets and making sure players get booked. <laughs> so I, I am definitely more washed up than all of our players and likely all of the other casters as well. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm, I'm stoked to see it. You know, if a deck that I wasn't necessarily pegging as the second most popular deck just sort of comes out of nowhere, um, you know, I'm stoked to see if it performs as well as apparently five players think it's going to. I also think two of the Guild Sworn decks have probably one of the coolest and most potentially gross cards uh, in the whole tournament, which is Seducer Darkfire. If yes. I remember correctly, Boom's Life and Witta are both playing three copies of it in two of their decks. And that's just wild to me, because I can say with certainty that's a card we did not see in the Masters Qualifiers. Um, yeah, so... I want to know what that's all about. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that card in particular performs. Um, you know, obviously it has some some pretty cool applications, right? If you're up against like a rage deck, you can just say, nope, no rage for you. Or a conscription deck, no conscription for you. That sounds that sounds pretty enticing. Um, so, you know, these things are built slightly differently. It's, it's Apparently it's a very powerful strategy, but we'll see how those specific card choices shift things. And that's, that's what's really exciting to me, you know? I don't get too hung up on which classes or which decks see play. I'm really interested in seeing how these small tunings of the decks and these really small decisions people have made in the deck construction uh, pay off. Hmm. So would you have liked to see, um, I mean, it seemed like it seemed like a, a portion of Moons of Elsewhere was to sort of empower dual Keller decks, was to raise the power level of dual Keller decks so that we would see a little bit more play from them um are you content with the the amount of dual color that we're seeing in the tournament that will probably largely be used to define our meta between now and the next expansion um or would you were you hoping to see a little bit more dual color classes come out after moons of elsewhere and, and rise up the power level i mean there's there are certain things that are different about this meta than the meta we have um like, obviously, statistic-wise, the most popular deck in the first couple weeks past Moons was... Or the most popular class at, at virtually all ranks, but worth mentioning that it includes Legend, uh, was Monk. So Monk mm-hmm. going from most popular to not represented is is a shocker, but not so much a shocker when you realize that, A, this is a, a totally different format. No one's queuing up on the ladder into a best-of-five last-class standing match. They're queuing up with, like, a one-deck <laughs> type of situation. And sure. uh, also, like this, you know, like I mentioned... It's possible these players have played it sort of conservative with the deck choices. Um, If they have three more weeks to test, we probably would see different decks as people would learn and discover more about the meta. Um, But when it comes down to a tournament where the variance is like, um, you know, $18,000 between if you lose your first round or win three matches in a row, that's not the time to really... Uh, you know, throw caution to the wind and, you know, bring this glass cannon strategy. Uh, it's, a, it's a decent payday, even if you get eliminated early, but, you know, that's a that's a huge first place prize, so I don't really you know, fault the players for taking decks that they've tested a lot. Um, Unless you're WADA and you just really, really like Bone Colossus. Dude, Bone Colossus is good, but the weirdest thing <laughs> to me about that deck is that there is no Alfie Conjure in it, if I remember correctly. There is not. There's Bone Colossus, yeah. but no Alfie. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, there could just be both, but he's like, nope, just need the bone, daddy. <laughs> Pre- Preserver of the Root made the cut, but Alfie did not, you know, the Negev or Negev, I can never pronounce the correct names. The 7 mana 7-7 seven, seven guard, or Dragon uh, Nogleave, guard, yeah. Nogleave made the cut, but but... 
but uh, but Alfie did not not even not even a one up. Yeah, it's I, a, I feel it's like Willis deck. done this to us because he's like a really old school player from 2016, and he's probably just saying, you know what, I'm gonna play these cards that most people haven't seen in since 2016. You know, I'm so old school, I know Preserver of the Roots a card. <laughs> so yeah, I'll he, be said it, he said he said he he actually told me about that card. He said it tested pretty well. I was like, what Preserver of the Root? He's like, it tested really well. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, I mean, the only two cards that he has in here that well he is he's running the dromatha reaper too um dromatha reaper is that uh, two mana three two that consumes a creature gets plus one health and um uh, heals you for one and that continues to happen every time something's consumed so this is he's also one of the only ones who uniquely has brought some consume mechanic but did not put alfie conjurer in his consume mechanic deck yeah, I mean, if, I actually don't remember the list entirely. Are there cards that do things when they get consumed? I don't think he was playing any of the imbued cards. He's uh, not playing any imbued cards, but he's got he's got Midnight Trespasser and Dramath a Reaper in the deck. Yeah, um, and so I've he, seen some I've seen some other cards in other decks and lineups that that do consume, but I haven't seen anyone play any of the cards that do things when they're consumed. So like, no Crocodile Brutes, no imbued Minotaurs or imbued um, Bretons. Imbued Bretons pretty good. I like that one. Viewed Breton's good. Viewed Breton's good if you can put it in your graveyard without having to play it. Hey, I'll play it for you know four four with Ward. Bones likes that card. Bones likes a lot of things though. I like it when it goes in my graveyard and I didn't have to put it there. Um, <laughs> I like I like it when I attacked your face and it gets slipped in there somehow because I burned cards off the top of my deck. That's the only place that I've really loved that card so far. Then I'm perfectly fine with consuming it. Um, I love the consume mechanic, by the way. I think it's genius. I absolutely love it. You know, you came from Hearthstone too, so you know. But coming from Hearthstone where you don't even have a graveyard to look at, coming into a game like this, that there's so much that has to do with the, the graveyard mechanic. Um, and that was some of my favorite decks to play in Magic the Gathering. So really love the consume mechanic. I think it's really awesome. I yeah, awesome. I love I love being, but I just love looking at my discard pile. I just so, do it to just flaunt that I can. Anything about QuakeCon or about uh, about the Master Series that you want to bring up, talk about, or highlight before we move towards you know really the last section because we're we're running late already. And I told you I'd try to keep you in an hour. I feel bad because we're already. Oh, you shouldn't have told me. I had no idea. It's okay. I don't have anywhere to be. Uh, but yeah, definitely tune in. It's gonna be great. Uh, check out all these great card choices that the players have made. Uh, see how it shakes down. Um, will one of the two people who didn't bring mid-range battle mage win? Who knows? Find out on Friday. Uh, also, this mm-hmm. is posted on Wednesday, uh, so by then you should know that if you tune in, there are a couple specific drops to QuakeCon that you can get if you tune in to the event. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, mm. you can check our announcement article on legends.bethesda.net and learn what you get for tuning into QuakeCon. A couple of unique drops that you can get. Now, let me ask you this: Do you just have to tune in and you automatically get those drops, or That's true. Do you, have you do to have get to lucky? link your? You would link your Bethesda and Twitch accounts. I actually don't know if I like calling these drops. We're just sort of mass entitling everyone who watches the stream, so not really a, a luck drop type of thing. We call them Twitch okay. drops, but yeah, this is the kind of thing where you tune in, you're gonna get the thing. Okay, so not unlike uh, I think whenever I tuned in not long ago, I got like a new card back. I think with the 25 on the back of it or something like that, or maybe yeah, it was that, the moth like thing, that, yeah. the moth priest that I got it. Uh, I can't. Yeah, sometimes sometimes we do those. Um, yeah, okay. the moth priest was for E3. Okay, okay. Yeah, so that was another situation where we everyone who tuned in got the card So back. make sure you tune in because you don't want to miss out on, on whatever it is that you can get, which is going to be yeah. something 
special okay. and super awesome. Um, so let's head towards the, the closing of the podcast here. And I think this is maybe my most invasive question that I have for you. Um, maybe the one that will have the most guarded answer, but just what are we looking towards? You know, as a player of, of Tesla, I'm thinking about this. I think a lot of the people who are playing it, what are we looking at towards the future? Um, it's hard to know, uh, you know, exactly what's going on behind the scenes. Um, you don't know what conversations are going on behind closed doors. And if you're a member of this community, you want to know, hey, do we have a bright future planned for this game? Are there new things coming? Is there something exciting around the bend? We don't want to hear, oh, we're not supporting this game anymore. So we want to know, like, is there something exciting coming around the bend? Um, is there is there something cool coming up? Uh, what's the future look like? Is it a bright future if I'm a Tesla player? Well, it will be half. It will have to be a guarded answer because you know if I if I say too much, it could. If there is cool things to spoil, uh, we'll want to have all of the fun to ourselves and a specific announcement built for it. Uh, but sure. I, I guess I can talk about some things that we've already mentioned. Um, the roadmap we revealed at Bethesda Game Days at PAX East probably talked about a little bit of this, but obviously our content schedule, uh, we're looking forward to the next expansion, which I can't tell you a damn thing about, unfortunately, but it will be awesome. <laughs> the okay, team's working okay. really hard on it. Okay, I say, can um, you tell us that you've definitely been working on it? Personally, I can't because I don't have any part in that process. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but there's somebody somewhere working on oh, it. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. oh, yeah. I, they're, they're, I've already seen some art briefs, so um, there's a lot of people in a lot of different places. You know, everything from, from car design being started to art briefs being approved to voiceovers and, you know, all the different things that go into making a, a card pack expansion, which it will be, for those who didn't know, the next expansion will also be pack-based, um, yes. you, know, you know, at least as large as, you know, you're used to at this point. Um, but I don't have any further news Whatever on the release date for that. Sure. Oh, um, yeah, that's okay. I, I, I can say before that expansion, you'll probably find some other cool stuff. Um, there's some new features that uh, the team is working really hard on at Sparky Pants. Um, one of them being the events feature. A lot of people have wondered about in-game events and when they're going to return. Um, basically, the whole thing had to be built into the game uh, from scratch. But, uh, you know, we're starting to test that out. It will not be happening for the patch in July, um, but hopefully for a patch, um, you know, not too far after that. So can um, we, we, can have we look a, forward to having that happen between now and the next expansion? I really hope so, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, that, that, is, that is currently the plan. Um, uh, an actual release date will be forthcoming. But, uh, yeah, we're hoping to have it a, be a pretty robust event system when we do get it going um there'll be the kind of events players are used for uh, used to the, the really simple stuff like you register a deck you play a certain amount of matches you get some prizes that stuff's kind of easy but um there's also uh, a lot of room for for us to really change the rules we're hoping for so like we can mm. easily easily not not like having to build a whole new event but pretty easily change the parameters of like not only how many wins and how many prizes but also what are the rules for deck construction like we can make certain sets or cards legal or certain attributes or you know sort of change the rules for the deck building a little bit and maybe even do some wackier stuff than that uh, at a at a whim um and that's that's kind of the goal for when we eventually release this event system we want to have something that that doesn't really feel old. You know, we could run the same event over and over, but we want to be able to run a bunch of different stuff. So I think that's probably the most exciting thing. Um, personally, that's the thing that I've missed the most. 
since the the client relaunch, I was really hoping to get these events back in as soon as possible uh, because they're just a fun way to play the game. Even even the events that are the same format as ladder, it's just really fun to queue up and see how you do on a leaderboard and you know just play those sort of high pressure matches almost and get some prizes for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know if you could break the rules and and build new types of decks that wouldn't necessarily be correct on ladder or even legal on ladder, I think mm. that just sort of increases the fun. Yeah, or anything that you can do to create a new rule set that just says, hey, you now have to think differently um, uh, about the way that you're playing the game um, and the way that you're going to build decks. You just have to think differently about it because the cards interact differently or you're limited in what you can play, which really brings me to the the bulk of my question. And that is there's a lot, a lot of talk in the community about set rotation. I'm not asking you to tell us definitively is there is or not a set rotation. I'm just asking, is there some conversation going on about the value of a set rotation uh, at the at either Sparky Pants or Bethesda, you know, within where you're working? Oh, yeah, there's there's been conversations. I mean, I started probably talking about it well before most people did just because, you know, I've played a lot of card games. A lot of them had rotations. Um, and, you know, we're getting to a point where we do have a lot of content out there. I can say with certainty there will not be any set rotations happening with the release of the next expansion. So okay. don't worry about okay. that, um, just so players don't freak out. Um, but, yeah, there have been some conversations. Personally, I'm of the mindset that if a game gets to a certain length, and I'm not totally sure what length that is, a lot of that is up to the design team and, and how they mm-hmm. want to design cards going forward. But if a game gets to a certain length... Uh, some type of rotation is probably inevitable. A lot of people will disagree with me and say that you can handle that with massive nerfs um, and, and balance changes. There's a lot of arguments. Again, again, I want to sort of reiterate that the rotations or no rotations is not my call. That's like a, a, a larger business decision and also a design decision. But um, the, the sort of the nerf argument thing I have a problem with is, and, and people have said this before in games like Hearthstone, if a card gets nerfed, you can no longer play its past form. And that might not seem like a big deal. If you're thinking strictly about the health of the metagame, nerfing a card and rotating it out kind of does the same thing, except it keeps the rest of the set legal for you. That's looking at it optimistically. But if I just really love a strategy, like let's say I really loved Action Assassin in Legends. Mm -hmm. Like the old school, I'm talking, I want to play turn one, ring out a Crystal Tower Crafter, Lesser Warded, and it's a 3-3 with Ward. Like, old school, I want to ring out Dark Rift on turn two, or something like that. If those cards got nerfed, which they did, I can never do that again. Like, that is an aspect of the game that I can no longer enjoy. I can also never enjoy things like uh, level one drain or level three drain vitality clearing a board. I can never play that really overpowered mm-hmm. <laughs> shout ramp scout with like two cost soul tears and like board clearing drain vitalities and that yeah, wild Hisgrove. Yeah, I can't do that anymore. Um, for example, if if Hisgrove drain vitality and soul tear rotated out in their past forms, if I wanted to revisit that strategy and enjoy the game in that way, I'd be able to do that in the sort of legacy format or whatever it would be called. Mm-hmm. But if they're nerfed, that's no longer an option. I, can, I can't really play them in standard because they're rotated, or I can't play them in standard because they're nerfed, but if, I, if there was two formats, maybe they wouldn't have had to be. So that it's, it, there's an argument for nerfs, and some people will prefer a, a metagame that you know nothing ever becomes sort of uh, illegal, and the things that are overpowered are just nerfed because we don't always have that sentimental attachment to, car- attachment to cards, but, you know, not only from a, 
a design standpoint, but also from sort of a player sentiment standpoint, I think there are players who would happily play a secondary format and just get to experience whatever decks they want. Um, even though the it's sort of more limited in the, the standard metagame, it would become that way anyway with a massive amount of nerfs. Like, you are essentially using nerfs to limit what's possible. Uh, for example, you know, things like... I can't even think right now, it's so late, but, you know, when a card gets nerfed, it's obviously to limit the the insane impact it has on a game, like Transitus Shrine, Disciple of Namira, those cards no longer do what they used to in a very obvious way. Like, there's there's no way to experience Empire Abomination, (laughs) which I think is a good thing. (laughs) I think, oh yeah, that was not a fun deck to lose to. Um, I think... I think that there is, right, there's a balance between these two things. Um, I don't think that you can say we're never going to nerf cards because we just rotate stuff. And I don't think you can say we're never going to rotate stuff because we just nerf cards. I mean, let's let's just, if people, if, if Hearthstone and Legends is like your only experience in card games, um, then like look at the, the longest standing card game that's out there, which is Magic the Gathering. I mean, this has yearly rotations, has forever. You got uh, Legacy, you got um, you got uh, your modern set, you got your standard set, you have vintage set, like you have all of these different yeah. formats that you could play in, and people thoroughly enjoy and fall in love with one specific format. I played standard. When I got out of Magic the Gathering, it's because my brother got into modern, and now he is strictly a modern player. I have friends that are strictly standard players. I I have a friend who's a legacy player, right? Yeah, and, and, you the, can and the find power level of these formats is very different. Like, the power level of standard is kept to a certain level, mm-hmm. um, and the power level of modern or legacy is kept to, especially like legacy or vintage, that's a very different power level. I don't even play Magic, but, you know, I've, I've seen some games, and that's clearly different. So, like, if you if you take a look at standard, if they wanted to replicate that, let's say Magic was always online, and they could simply nerf cards, um, and they, they could use a massive amount of nerfs to create the current standard formats power level without having to do rotations. But think of the massive amount of cards that would have had to fundamentally change for that to happen. And think about all the experiences uh, that players would no longer have. Like there would be no, you know, moxes, moxen, I guess. And like those really old school (laughs) crazy combos and power level decks that Mm -hmm. you can experience in legacy, vintage, modern, like in order to create that sort of power level without rotations, you're limiting those options. And, you know, you probably know better than anyone. A lot you just said someone plays only modern. He just prefers that power level and those kind of decks. And that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, since he can play those, um, you know, it doesn't matter to him that those cards are rotated out of standard. They're very, they're very alive in the format that he prefers. Yeah, I think that the 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 thing to point out here is that rotation can only be good for the game. Like ro- rotating cards is only ever a good thing, a healthy thing for a card game. Because let's if we don't rotate, um, it's going to take longer and longer to create and design cards because you don't have a controlled environment in which you can create and design cards. You have to balance it against a billion other cards. It takes longer for developers to be able to design those cards and get those cards out. You have a longer time between things. People get frustrated because they can't get to those old cards. They quit playing the game. Even when they are a new player, they can't get into it. There's less money, less revenue coming into the company. And guys, listen, and revenue is what makes this whole game turn around. If if Bethesda stops making money on this game, we don't
don't get to play this game anymore because it doesn't make any fiscal sense for them to continue producing it. And so it only makes sense for the future, in my opinion, it only makes sense for the future of the game, the longevity of this community, and the health and the fun level of the Elder Scrolls Legends for rotations to be a part of, of just the game. They have to be in order for Kings to continue to become developed on a regular basis for us to continue to get content and uh, for the game to continue to make money, which allows it to continue to, to exist. And so I know there's some people out there that are just like gung-ho about, though it's not going to rotate. I hated it when Hearthstone rotated. Um, but you just really do not understand how important and how healthy it is for a card game to have rotations. They just have to have it. Yeah, I will say, though, I do understand the frustration, right? Like, if you're looking at it objectively, someone who says, someone who views it as a card that they have been playing, no longer being playable, um, on the surface, that could be very upsetting, and that's something we take into consideration. Everything we do, especially my job, sort of is, if someone has an idea or there's a decision being made in the game, I always try to estimate what is the worst possible reaction someone's going to have to this. Um, mm. You know, Is it something we can address? Is it something that's fixable? Everything from like a store offer to like a new mode or you know any sort of decision is there's someone who's going to possibly react negatively to it. And rotations, we have that sort of you know, we can we can look at as a science experiment, we can see how other games have handled it. But one of the most important things, if we did do rotations, I can assure you that the design team is is very dead set on not viewing it as rotating out cards, but creating a, another format. Mm. You know, instead of instead of a format that is limited, it is two formats that are different in power level, purposefully and different in what you can play, and curated to be, you know, something that's appealing to a certain type of player but if you're not into it you don't have to play it because it's multiple ways to play (laughs) you know i think i think one thing i can say i can't always say that rotation is going to be preferable to a player but i can say that um more options is always preferable and that's kind of what i was getting at with the event system too like you might not like the wacky events but the fact that there are more options means the average player is more likely to, to find something they actually do enjoy Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, maybe you stay away from that, that R word, the, the rotation word. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. Venture into the format word in order to help people feel a little bit better about it, you know, and you're right for some people may not like the rotations. I just think that, you know, in, in, from my experience, it's just healthier for the game. It's better for the game, which inevitably means eventually it will be better for the player base. Even if it's not better for one particular player, it is better for the player base and when you make decisions in an organization um sometimes you have to make decisions that are better for the bulk of your player base um which really i think brings me to the my last question about the state of the game um how is the elder i mean the elder scrolls legends has been through a decent amount in the last year um switching over to sparky pants um dealing and navigating all of that um we're looking at it, you know an uptick in the amount of content that's coming that's coming out now with new expansions coming out on a more regular basis we had a long time without content before that not really sure what was going on uh, i we didn't know at the time what exactly was going on there um but, uh, you know, how is how is uh, the Elder Scrolls Legends doing um, in the landscape that is digital card games? Because there's a lot of them. You have you have Gwent, you have Hearthstone, Magic the Gatherings now on the scene with Magic Gathering Arena. You have Eternal. You have a dozen other games that I don't know anything about and, and haven't heard about. How's how's <laughs> Tessel doing um, just in in that landscape? Um, and what do they aspire to be? I mean, is there an aspiration that Tessel will be the number one played digital card game? Well, I yeah, it does always feel like there's another card game that 
I didn't know about that's just sprung up, right? Like, I always see things mm-hmm. on Twitter, and there's like, well, what's this game? What's this game? And I want to try them all, but there's just no time. But, yeah, I do try to dip in, and uh, I think I've played almost all of the big ones at this point, most of the ones you mentioned, if not all. Um, it's hard to answer this question in a way that won't get me fired by giving metrics, so I won't do that. Shoot, uh, you know, I was digging for yeah. some metrics there. I was trying to get yeah. an active player count, but I don't think I'm going to get that today. Like, what we've learned from the podcast is the game is doing well, but it is currently out of community manager. I wonder what could have... <laughs> <laughs> There's a vacancy. If you'd like to apply, go to Bethesda right now. Yeah, they'll use this podcast as what not to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, without without getting into any of the stuff that you probably want me to say, uh, I can say, you know, things are going pretty well. We're very happy with the content schedule, especially. Um, no one was really happy about the, the time it took between... Um, Houses of Morrowind to what was after that? Isle of Madness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. I. You know. Obviously, the projection wasn't that there would be that long of a, a break between those two expansions. And I think Isle of Madness really suffered for it. I think that was the kind of expansion that would have really done a lot more and been well, mostly been more well received if it was three or four months after Houses of Morrowind. And you know, even looking sure. back at how people were feeling at that time, the fact that the decks that were good for so long were allowed to remain so good for so long. Um, we released one balance change that I think, you know, was sort of impactful before the Master Series Finals last year. But yeah, it was a really long meta. It was longer than most metas should ever be. Seven months is just too long without new cards. There's no real way around it. Monthly cards notwithstanding. And even those, we missed them for a couple months too because we had to hire a new card design team. <laughs> it was a whole big thing with that. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, we don't want to repeat that ever again. Um, but I think, I think from our standpoint, we're a lot happier with the uh, the roadmap, the new content, especially the new features. We're finally getting to a place where we can start thinking about things like the event system actually coming into the game and testing that. And that's for me, that's a beautiful place to be because we've had things like it in the past. Um, there's definitely a certain, um, you know, a certain shine to something totally new that we didn't have in the old client, like. Uh, I think deck import exports the biggest example of that. But when you think about truly game-changing things, I think new regular content and new ways to play the game, like uh, the event system. So personally, I'm very happy with that. Um, whether or not it will ever be as big as Hearthstone is it really for me to decide. There's there's simply too many factors to go into that. Um, sure. Hearthstone has been around, especially like you know, Magic is going to be Magic. It is it's kind of the ubiquitous card game. If someone has ever seen a card game, it's probably that one. Um, so you can't really compete with a game that's been out for 25 years, something like that, something ridiculous, right? It's sure. as old as I, I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it was it was back in the 80s. So um, Magic the Gathering came out real? in the yeah, it was in the 80s because I was in elementary school when they were advertising Magic the Gathering with WW, WWF at the time. Um, WWF guys were were advertising Magic the Gathering. Um, no, 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 no. It, right. was it, was, it was the 90s. It was the 90s. It was in the uh, it would have been earlier 90s, though. It would have been earlier 90s. Yeah, um, I mean, either maybe, way, it was definitely around before I could read. So, yeah, maybe like, 94, 95, something like that. Yes. Yeah, so it was a long time ago. It was before I was playing card games. Yeah. I mean, you know, even our design team, a lot of them are magic players. You know, we got Josh Utter Layton, Paulo Vitor. Like these are these are magic pros. That's <laughs> that's how mm. they sort of got into card games. That's what they do. Um, yeah, they just really good guys and really good car designers, uh, which is another thing I'm very excited about. I think we have a fantastic car design team. Uh, mm. I don't really know much about who's working on other card games or even who's working on magic, but like 
I really can't complain. I think I think we actually have a great design team, um, especially for the size they are, the the quality that they pump out. Uh, I was really stoked with Moons. I think it's probably one of the most well received sets I've ever seen. Um, it's a very good set. Yeah, it's I mean, a very good set. Like I think the when when the biggest complaint that you see is I wish it was bigger. I think that's a good sign. Like clearly, clearly people like what it was and and like they just they're like yeah more of that more of that. So so hopefully we can deliver. Um, I haven't seen a ton of what's in store for the next expansion, but uh, I imagine it'll be pretty pretty dope as well. Yeah yeah. Well you heard it here guys. Uh, CVH says that there's a promising future for us as Tesla players. They got a great design team. Um, they are aiming towards the future. They're not slowing down. They're ramping up with new stuff, new content, new things coming out that he's excited about that we can then be excited about. And so if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how this thing's actually doing. What's the state of the game? What's it actually? Is this game alive? Isn't it alive? What's going on with this game? You've heard it here. The game is alive and well. They got a promising future for us. And so uh, I'm excited. I know. I mean, it sounds like you're excited. If you're excited, uh, I know that I'm excited excited about the the future of tessel and and the future of being a tessel player because this is my favorite card game i've ever played and i loved magic the gathering and i like this game significantly more um, than i ever liked magic the gathering and so i'm excited because i don't want my game to go away this is my card game this is my go-to yeah absolutely i mean i haven't really played actually magic's like one of the few that i haven't played but yeah legend's definitely my favorite card game my favorite to work on for sure because it's the only one I've ever worked on, but also <laughs> my favorite game to play. Uh, it's funny people ask me all the time what game I play in my spare time, and it's still pretty much you know Legends dominates. <laughs> if I want to play some games in my spare time, I'm I'm queuing up Legends, man. That's what still I'm doing. Still playing, still playing Legends. Yeah, well, I mean definitely at a lower level than before, but still, <laughs> still, still giving it a shot at least. Sure. Well, you know, we didn't do a lot of new player content or anything today, but we did go over an insane amount of stuff with CVH here with us uh, this evening. And that's so exciting and so super cool um, that you decided to be on. So I just want to say thank you once again, CVH, for joining us. Thank you for being on the show. It's an incredible honor to have you on um, and, uh, and and be part of this because I th- there's no way that I would ever get this type of response from just about any other community. Um, I probably would have been shrugged off, ignored. Oh, you only have a couple of episodes out. Oh, you're just a new podcast. Um, but instead, you chose to come on the Tesla podcast with me. I'm so, so thankful for that. So uh, why don't you tell people, man, how can they get connected with you? What's going on with Bethesda? How can they really just get plugged into the news? Because I've noticed sometimes it's not it's not always easy to find exactly what's going on in this game. And Reddit isn't always the most reliable place for information. So what's the best place to go if I want to just get the latest from you or the latest from the the Elder Scrolls Legends team. Yeah, Reddit's a good place to start and interact with the community for sure. Um, Reddit's also a good place to post your feedback. I know that might not seem like the case, but between Sparky Pants designers and, and Gavin from Sparky Pants and myself, pretty much everything on Reddit gets read. You know, we read it. Cause oh, that's, yeah. that's, I like that. Yeah, that was there. Good. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. probably what they meant with the name. But uh, yep. yeah, so Reddit's a great place to interact and, and sort of meet people in the community and, and like post your content. Um, but to actually find the news, I always strongly recommend following the official channels, the the Twitter for TES Legends, the Facebook, the Instagram, uh, whatever of the three you use. Um, you know, all major announcements will be posted to our social channels. And for sure, you'll want to be checking legends.bethesda.net. We do have a helpful news tab in the game, too. So if you're logging in, uh, you know, frequently, you will see the uh, the recent news that's been posted on the website. 
because that was something that I and many other people were adamant about in the client. We needed to have a place to put the news so people mm. could go into the game and, and say, like, oh, what is this? There's a, a thing called the Master Series that I've never heard of before because I don't follow them on Twitter. You know, what is that? Let me click on it and go there. Or, you know, what's the monthly card? It's right there. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, I, I would say just stay tuned to the official social channels and the website. Everything we do, if it's something we think the players need to know about, um, will be on all of those places. Um, and we'll do our best to obviously post it to things like, you know, the Steam page, the, the forums on BethesdaNet, and also we'll post to the Reddit, of course, because we know the community. That's that's basically the main community hub for it. Uh, the only problem with finding your news on Reddit is that things just move really quickly. So They do move uh, quickly. Yeah, they, they really do. There's so much going on on Reddit. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. Pretty hard to keep up with, but we do our best. Uh, but yeah, if you ever have any problems in the game or, or need to... Uh, you know, if there's some important feedback or a bug or anything, uh, we will read it on Reddit, but always feel free to reach out as well to um, probably Gavin on Reddit. Um, but myself, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitch. Um, I, I'm pretty much all over the place. I'm definitely on Reddit and the forums as well. So, you know, I always try to read my DMs, especially if they're bug related. I'll pass them along to the QA team and whoever else needs to know. Um, and I'm always around just to just have a nice chat about card games. Sometimes I get sucked in and, and just talk about you know, game-related theory, because I really enjoy it that much. But, uh, yeah, it's been an honor to be on your podcast. Um, yeah, the pleasure was all mine. Uh, it was it was a long one, but I think it was a good one. And I think so, too. Yeah, I really appreciate what you're doing for the community. I think it's awesome to see. Uh, you know, podcasting is sort of an underused medium. <laughs> it's always great to see more podcasts out there for uh, for the game. Um, and, and, yeah, it's just, you know, as some of the old guard content creators, it's, it's nice to sort of pass the torch to people who are willing to put in that work just for the love of the game. Yeah, I, uh, I really do enjoy podcasting, and I enjoy putting stuff out there for people to enjoy. So if you're trying to get connected with LegendsCast, you can do that by emailing me at eslegendscast at gmail.com. That's eslegendscast at gmail.com. I'm off the grid, so you won't find me on social media. I am on Reddit, and I am called the 113 Lift. That's the 113th Lift. Um, if you want to send me your request right on uh, Elder Scrolls Legends, you can go ahead and, and reach me there at the 113th Lift as well. We can play a game together, so don't be afraid to go ahead and send me a friend request and as long as i have a spot which i have plenty right now on my friends list i'll gladly accept and and talk to you about the podcast or talk to you about the game um and as always um something i added in the last episode i'm going to continue to put in my episodes uh, my main job is is being a pastor and so my heart is to bring um uh goodness and light and uh to this community and so uh if you are going through a difficult time and you're feeling alone i know that the internet can be a really dark place um, and the internet can be a really isolating place. And although we feel more connected, um, it's hard to get genuine connection online. And so if you need someone who's just able to listen to you or someone who will pray for you, you can always reach out to me at eslegendscast at gmail.com um, because I would love to support you with whatever you're going through, whether that's health concerns, whether that's depression, whether that's anxiety, um, or, or whether that's something else that's going on in your life. If you just need someone to listen, f- please, please, please feel free to write to me. You are never alone. And, uh, and I'm here to, to be there for you um so that's gonna about wrap up uh, everything that we do on the show make sure you go che- uh, check out uh, team rank star online and see the stuff that they're putting out there and this episode will go up on there as well uh is there anything uh, else uh, for the listeners before we sign off here cvh i don't think so man i think we about covered it hopefully we see you tune in to the master series this friday and uh you know i'll see you on the forums or in the game 
Heck yeah, I'll be there. Okay. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in and make sure you come back next week because I believe next week, if we can work it out, I will be interviewing uh, Bradford Lee, um, a returning player to the game and talking about his take on the Elder Scrolls Legends and the competitive scene. That's it for this episode. Come back next week and thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Legend Casts, a podcast about Elder Scrolls Legends. If you're looking for more ways to get connected with us and our community, email us at eslegendcasts at gmail.com and be sure to come back for our next episode.